0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the very first episode of Project Career. Today, I'm joined by Ms. Sonia Dugal and Dia Khatan.
1: Hello. Hi, Paloma. Nice to hear you.
0: Nice to hear you, too. So, Sonia Dugal is a licensed marriage and family therapist based in sunny San Francisco, and she's leading her own thriving private practice. And she's been practicing as a counselor in the Bay Area for more than seven years now. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I, I would say I saw my first client way back in 2013.
0: So, um, yeah, a, a little over seven years, eight years, actually. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, And Dia is a 16-year-old student at Nahar International School. Um, She's interested in pursuing a career in the field of psychology. And today, we're all just going to have a little chat and talk about this. Okay.
1: Sounds wonderful. (laughs)
0: Um, So since this is the first episode, I'm just going to give a quick introduction to what Project Career is and why I started this podcast. So the main reason I started it is because going into like the higher grades in high school, there was always a lot of uncertainty for me because I never knew what like career I wanted to pursue. And that gave me a lot of stress and anxiety. And I always felt like I was alone in the struggle and like everyone else had everything figured out. So this is for everyone out there that is confused and doesn't know what they're doing. Um, yeah, I hope I can help you at least a little bit.
1: I think it's it's awesome, Paloma, that you have taken on this initiative. I wish I would have had a resource like this when I was your age. So it's commendable. And, you know, I think it's a fabulous idea.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That makes me so happy. Okay. So my first question to you is, what is your favorite part about your job? And, you know, what about it makes you want to really get up in the morning? What's the part you love?
1: Um, I think the part I love most about my job is the opportunity to learn and grow and challenge myself each day. Um, you know, psychology as a field is evolving. What we know about the brain is just what we've scratched on the surface. There's so much research that's being done every day. There's so much to learn and understand, and as a practitioner, it's important to kind of stay abreast with, uh, you know, new research and what's going on there, and how we can improve uh, the, you know, the quality of care provided. Um, you know, understanding the neuroanatomy is is a big part, but it's also about understanding social context and Mm -hmm. presenting issues and coming up with new ways to address presenting problems. So um, I think what really excites me every day is, oh, what am I waking up to today? You know, because it's such an unknown and it's an opportunity to learn something new and uh, grow. And um, I love that.
0: Yeah, for sure. That sounds very interesting. And like, psychology is a field that's ever evolving, ever changing, as you know, the times progress.
1: It is, for sure.
0: The next question that I want to ask you is, um, what has your career path been? Because um, I think you, you switched from a corporate career to one in psychology. And you're currently working at um, One Life Wellness Center, which is a non-profit organization.
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. My career path has been really windy. It hasn't been a straight path. Um, and my first job was actually when I was, uh, I, I think, about 17 17 years old. And that was a part-time job as a college student that I did to just, you know, get some extra pocket money. Mm-hmm. And I worked as a proofreader. I would proofread U.S. tax documents and actually do the math there, you know, just count and tally up the numbers. Mm-hmm. And that was my first ever job when I was 17 years old. Um from there, I went on to working in an art gallery and then managing an art gallery. Wow. <laughs> From there, I moved on to business development um, uh, and uh, then continued in project management in telecommunications and the uh, then you know internet internet service providers when when they came into uh, Asia. So. Um, Yes, it's been varied, it's been diverse, and then there was um, quite a gap uh, in in my career where I was just a student. I think I was studying for about 10 years, um, trying out different things. I was, uh, I think, fortunate enough to have had that opportunity to just continue to take Courses after courses to just understand what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how I ended up, you know, getting uh, my degree in uh, marriage and family therapy and professional clinical counseling. So it's uh, been a long, windy path. And I finally found myself home. And this is where i live today in this field
0: wow that is definitely very interesting and i love that you know it's not like a traditional path where you pick a career and you stuck with it i love that how you you know found yourself later on um and i think that's something that like helps young listeners because you don't have to have it all figured out right in the beginning and you
1: And what was really interesting, Paloma, to speak to that, you know, I mean, I definitely didn't follow the straight path. And I had people in my program that did follow the straight path, right? I mean, they went through what they thought they knew they wanted to do and they were successful at it, but at some point found what they were doing to be unfulfilling. And so they went back and tried to reassess what they wanted to do next. And so in my program, I have had and now have friends and also other uh, colleagues who have had careers in law. So lawyers, Mm -hmm. business executives, CEO of companies, sports trainers, nurses, and it's uh, it's just fascinating to see how people sometimes come into this field as their first, second, third, and even fourth careers.
0: Wow, that is wow. That is definitely something. And that just goes to yeah. show how like everyone from every field um, always finds a new way to reinvent themselves.
1: Right. At the end of it, it's, you know, what is actually helping you bring meaning to your existence and to your life and what's fulfilling to you. And that can change over a period of time. So um, that's also important to kind of keep in mind just because you pick something. And especially in the age that we live in today, back in the day, yes, you know, you were committed for life. Today, the world's changed. You have so much more opportunity to, to choose, to decide if, you, if it's not working for you, you could try something else.
0: Yeah, definitely. And on that note, I wanted to ask you, what is the advice you would give to someone who is just starting out in psychology and you know trying to find their way, who wants to study and pursue it as a career? Psychology is
1: a very varied field, and it's also very versatile. Um, you've got to ask yourself, okay, what would I want to do on a daily basis for work? I think the first, uh, you know, my advice would be to first try and understand where do you see yourself practicing your expertise? Are you looking at which industry are you looking to go into? Do you see yourself in corporate? Do you see yourself in law enforcement? Do you see yourself in uh, a medical
0: model? So we lost connectivity there for a little bit, but what happened was that Dia raised a really good question. She asked for Miss Dougal's opinion on art therapy, which is a new up-and-coming medium of therapy that psychologists are using a lot in current times.
1: Right, so you're given other mediums of communicating. What's coming up for you and art therapy has proven to be very effective a modality uh, especially in working with trauma and working with kids because so much of that their experience is nonverbal and they're unable to share verbally so this gives them another channel of being able to address their distress
2: That's- so interesting honestly because to actually relieve yourself of some kind of trauma or like you know get back into a stable frame of mind through art and like through other forms of basically uh, you know art is just so interesting because you don't have to do like the conventional way you can do it the way you like it and honestly that's one of the best things ever you
1: know. It is, it is, because often, um, you know, people who've endured trauma, uh, for example, uh, you have the fight, flight, or freeze, right? And the freeze response just incapacitates you. It kind of psychologically paralyzes you, and you're unable to uh, kind of be verbal. So when you have expressive art therapy as a medium, you're not talking you're doing, you're engaging, and you're still communicating.
0: Okay, so what skills do you think are the most crucial to succeeding in therapy, if there are any? Is there like a specific type of person that would be more suited to this career, like specific personality traits, like for example, someone who's more um, empathetic or, you know, sensitive? Uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, you know, empathy
1: is huge and, and it has to be present. Um, however, I think just as important is uh, open-mindedness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a practitioner cannot uh, really be closed in or locked in mentally into um, maybe a code of values or uh, a way of being, there has to be an openness to understand variation. And if uh, you are the person that just is linear and uh, black and white and you're thinking very concrete, um, you may not be very effective as a practitioner because you are closing out um, you know, all possibilities of variation that come your way. And you really have to be a blank slate for to be able to be effective as a practitioner, for people to feel safe and for people to be able to connect with you. Yes. Um, so empathy, open-mindedness, willingness to learn, grow and challenge yourself. Okay. I think that's a big one. If you're unwilling to challenge yourself, if you're unwilling to excavate your own demons, you know, if you're unwilling to kind of go into your own past or your own self to understand who you are, why you are the way you are, what influences contributed to molding you to be who you are. If you don't have that curiosity about yourself, that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, of course. um, I think Dia has raised a hand, Dia, you can ask your question,
2: yeah, so like you man, you spoke about empathy. I wanted to ask you, since you're like you know a relationship psychologist, do the issue of others ever bother you on a personal level? like does it ever is it ever hard to keep your personal life and your professional life separate? Do you ever get emotionally attached to a few patients? So
1: uh all practitioners me included, we are human, right? And so, I mean, we go through the same range of emotions that anyone else does. And every once in a while, there is a person sitting in front of you sharing experiences that are so similar to to what you may have had and they may have not been very comfortable experiences for you. So yes, you do feel triggered you do get activated and sometimes you do bring some people home with you in your mind. some cases tend to consume more of your mental and emotional bandwidth. Um, That does happen. Of course it does. Um, There are ways to manage that. And that's again, a big part of uh, a responsibility that a practitioner has is uh, You know, self-care is not really a choice or shouldn't be a choice for a practitioner. It is a requirement of the job to be able to take care of yourself, to understand what's coming up for you and why and how you're going to address it. So, um, yeah. I I don't know if that answers your question, Leah. Does it come up? Does it bother? No, it definitely does. It does, of course it does. How do we take care of it? Uh, Yes, there is a whole, uh, I think different people, different practitioners handle it differently. Um, I have my plan. Yeah, answers my question
2: because, I mean, for the longest time, I thought that, you know, practitioners need to be absolutely detached from the case, but apparently
1: not. So thank you so much. Uh, well, apparently not in that. Let me correct you there, Dia. Um, yes, initially you you do have you know those emotions are awakened and that uh, affiliation may happen. But when I talked about the self care and the responsibility of the practitioner, what that actually does and entails is you know there are a series of steps that we take. Like even in the middle of a session. We're constantly, at least I am, constantly checking in with myself, asking myself, Sonia, where are you breathing from? Right? Are you relaxed? Are you feeling activated? Uh, What's coming up for you right now? So, in the middle of the session, I'm pausing for a minute from time to time to just check in and make sure I'm at baseline. Now, that takes practice and it comes with experience. The more you do it, the better you get at it and the more objective you find yourself to be. But when you're starting out, you're not in that place, right? You you get pulled into your client's experience quite a lot. And so you practice setting those boundaries, upholding those boundaries. When it is absolutely impossible to uphold those boundaries, then we have... What we call consultation groups. So I'm a part of three different consultation groups, where are where we have groups of other therapists. We come together, and we talk about cases that may be challenging, cases uh, that may be triggering for us, or um, sometimes, especially when you're working with kids, and especially if you're a mom like me, you want to just bring the kid home and adopt the kid, right? <laughs> Yeah. Especially if the kid is in an environment that's just so unhelpful. um. So that's kind of what we talk about. The word is counter-transference, you know, in the world of psychology. It's, okay, what's, uh, what is the client transferring on you? And how are you receiving and reacting to that transference? So we discuss and work through our counter-transference and sometimes if we are unable to work through that because it's just so close to our own experience, we have a responsibility to transfer the case to someone who would be more effective.
2: Uh,
0: that makes sense. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So the counter would you say it's kind of like um, therapy for therapists? Well, the consultation
1: groups, uh, the countertransference is the reaction that the therapist will have to what the client is sharing, right? That's the countertransference. The consultation groups is kind of where the therapist is in consultation with colleagues, right? And other people in the field discussing the case, getting their mind kind of sorted out, if you will. In addition to that it's not uncommon for therapists to also be in therapy. I have my own therapist yeah. and sometimes you know of course because we are just as human we have stuff going on in our personal lives or in our own beings that we may need help with so I have my own therapist and my own therapist uh, helps me work through my personal issues and sometimes when client situations kind of come in the way, she helps me with that too. So it's not uncommon for therapists and psychologists to have their own safe space as well.
0: Right, yeah, that, that is very important because at the end of the day, psychologists and therapists are also human beings.
1: Yes. So I I have a lot of my clients are psychologists and therapists too. Not a lot, but mm-hmm. quite a bit. And uh, I am a patient as well as a practitioner. I do both, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's a part of what we call, you know, the self-care plan. How do you take care of yourself to continue to be in that objective space that makes you an effective practitioner?
0: right right um and another question this kind of drifts away from the topic of um you know uh, taking care of yourself and how you remain balanced on the day on on a daily basis but i wanted to ask um this just out of curiosity um one life wellness center is a non-profit organization so if there are any profits where do they go or how are they allocated
1: So, um, I am attached to one life and in parallel, I have my own private practice too. So I do both. Mm Uh, I attach to one life because, uh, that's the place I started out. Um, you know, as an intern, I did my internship with them as well. And the person who started one life was also my supervisor. Um, so I continue to be attached to one life. It's, um, like second home for me the excess you know what what comes out at the end of the day after paying out all the running costs and the essentials if there's anything left over one life engages in a lot of community wellness mm-hmm. so they have so many uh programs that um, they fund, including uh, providing, you know, the underprivileged populations with food and uh, toiletries and, you know, be it kids needing stationery or backpacks or clothes. So there's always, uh, you know, the extra funds go toward uh, just rehabilitating people or helping the underserved
0: populations wow that's that's very amazing
1: uh and also offering uh free therapy or accessible you know therapy at an accessible uh cost to people who can't afford it therapy can be very expensive so not everyone can afford it and not everyone um you know can uh, also avail of uh, say the state programs to get therapy. So One Life will kind of take the tabs on that. They will play, pay the clinicians to ensure that underserved populations get the care they need. So um, they are truly nonprofit that, you know, not a dollar is left unspent. If there is a pool left, they will find a way. There's always need in the community which is fulfilled
0: that is truly very very cool I think that there should be more businesses like that in you know the current times in the current world you had mentioned earlier that there was this period of 10 years where you were starting out in psychology and you just took course after course and you loved it but I wanted to know if you've taken any internships or like done any volunteer work during that time as well
1: I had uh, kind of an interest in sociology and psychology, and I, I did internships and volunteerships, if you will, in in, in that. Uh, when I came to the U.S., yes, um, before I got into my program, I worked uh, or volunteered mostly mm-hmm. in uh, assisted living communities where I worked with uh, uh, people, you know, that had dementia. Um, that had Alzheimer's, that uh, memory care essentially, and also the aged uh, geriatric population. So I used to, um, I think, uh, be one of the events and activities coordinator, right? So we'd go and organize entertainment activities for uh, the geriatric population that lived in this center that... um, I volunteered at, that would be trips to the zoo, taking them to the shopping mall, having bingo night, uh, doing arts and crafts with them. So yeah, those were the things that I sporadically through my life always was engaged in. I was always engaged in a lot of activities through my church. and being involved in communities and serving populations and just bringing kind of hope and wellness was always something that I had going on on the side all along through my life, really. Uh, I I wouldn't say they were formal internships or Mm -hmm. traineeships. They were a lot of volunteerships. I would look for opportunities where I would be able to kind of engage and serve people, help people. Um, And that's how I would kind of use my time a lot. Um, My formal traineeships and internships were a part of my program. So that's when I got into, you know, the formal traineeships and internships. But otherwise, it was just volunteer work, a lot of volunteer work.
0: Right. Okay, I think that was my last question for you. Um, Dia, do you have anything else that you want to ask her?
2: Well, no, I mean, most of my questions are answered throughout the session, so it has been lovely meeting you and it just really, uh, you know, reassures me of the fact that, you know, being a psychologist can change lives and also you are you are helping people, so I mean, all for a good cause. So, I mean, thank you so much.
1: One last thing that I would like to say is, you know, a lot of times, um, and I felt this too when I was taking those different courses, that I'm wasting my time. And what I'm learning is, you know, not going to be put to use at all, Mm -hmm. right? And um, it's shocking. I mean, I did programs in intercultural communication I did programs in philosophy I did programs in sociology I did programs in English writing I did programs in public speaking I mean it's interesting and then I go back to psychology right but I end up using all of what I learned in my work today too So even if you feel like, oh, you know, I'm doing X, Y, Z and it's, I can't shift to a new field because I'm just going to, you know, waste all those years of effort that I've put in. I'm going to waste all that time. No, you won't because knowledge is never lost. It doesn't go to waste. It will come back and contribute itself in one way or another and definitely in the field of psychology because you're working with so many different people coming from different backgrounds. And when you have awareness of a variety of topics, you're able to relate, engage at a much deeper level. So don't ever feel locked in to whatever you have and don't ever feel restricted and not give yourself permission to change your mind just because you've invested the time and you feel losing what you've gained does that make sense
0: yes definitely that is such a lovely and encouraging message
2: yeah i know like especially for young kids like us who second guess everything we do
1: Yeah. yeah exactly you're like oh i want to focus all my energy on that one thing because if i do that then i'll be successful and if Uh, If I'm successful, then I have to stick with it, even if I'm miserable with it, because otherwise it would be such a waste. I have my own kids saying that to me sometimes, like, oh, what if I choose the wrong major when I go to college and 10 years down the line, I decide I don't like it. It would be a waste of 10 years of my life. And I go, it's never a waste. It will find a way to contribute itself somehow. So, don't be
0: afraid of of getting locked in. I can definitely relate with your kids, but um, I think that you know um what you said really resonated with me that knowledge is knowledge, and if you've learned something properly, it will always stay with you and later in life, it'll help you in some way, so it's never wasted.
1: It's never wasted. Well, thank you, uh
0: young ladies, for mm-hmm.
1: for spending your valuable time with me and giving me this opportunity to to chat with you guys.
2: Thank you, ma'am, for uh, uh-huh. reiterating not reiterating, sorry, reassuring us of you know
0: following our dream. Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you.
1: Thank you My both pleasure. for
0: being here and you know, giving your time. I know things Can get a little bit hectic sometimes but I feel like it's important to just sit down and talk about these types of things. So thank you and with that I would like to end this episode Namaste to all the listeners Namaste